Morning, church. Good morning, church. Morning. Good to see you guys. Your goodness is running after me is the refrain that we uh, sang just a minute ago. The founders of every major world religion said, I'll show you how to find God. Only Jesus said, I am God who has come to find you. That's good news. Let me say it again, all right? We sing, your goodness is running after me, us. The founders of every major world religion said, I'll show you how to find God. Only Jesus said, I am God who has come to find you. If you're a guest, my name is Kelly. I serve as senior pastor. It's a high privilege to open God's word together this morning. Turn with me in your copy of the scripture to Luke chapter 15. We started a parable last week, the under, uh, younger son element. And then we'll close the same parable this week looking at the older son. Jesus offers this parable as he's being criticized for hanging out with sinners. Before I jump into the passage, though, let me share a story that I find fascinating and that I think will help us understand the struggles of older sons, spiritually speaking. It's a basketball story, and I love basketball. Not a great player when I was younger, certainly a bad player now. Wasn't a great player when I was younger, but I did love basketball, do love it. I coached a little bit after college. The bane of every basketball coach is missed free throws because they're free. Just make your free throws, right? And if you can make free throws, you'll often win games. If you can't make them, you'll often lose. One of the greatest basketball players of all time was Wilt Chamberlain. He played in the NBA from 59 to 73. He currently still holds 72 NBA records. Records like averaging 24 rebounds a game and also pulling down uh, the most rebounds in a single game, 55 rebounds in a single game. Averaging the most points in a season, 50 points in the season of 61 to 62. That same season, he scored in a single game 100 points. The game was March 2nd, 1962. The second place most points scored in a single game is held by Kobe Bryant. It's 81 points. So Wilt Chamberlain has the record with 100 points. In that game in which he scored 100 points, he made 28 of 32 free throws. His free throw shooting percentage that evening was over 87%. Interestingly, he usually only shot 40% from the charity stripe. But he did something different that evening that he hadn't done before. He shot granny style. All right, do we know what granny style is, right? Right? He shot granny style. Can you imagine a professional basketball player shooting the granny shot today? You would have to imagine it because no one does it. Wilt was 7-1. Notoriously, it is hard for tall players to shoot free throws because when arms are extended, they're literally shooting down on the basket, right? Wingspan of seven foot, 
right? You got three and a half foot arms. You're shooting down on the basket at seven feet tall, and it's hard. It's awkward. So Wilt thought he would change it up a little bit, raise his free throw shooting percentage, and sure enough, their granny shot did it. He shot over 87%. It was the only game he ever did so. Oddly, he never shot the granny shot again in a game. Why? Quote, because it made him feel silly. In fact, people made fun of him that evening from the stands as he was shooting granny shots. It was more than his pride could bear, is one way to say it. Can you imagine a highly disciplined, uber-confident, determined professional refusing to humble themselves in order to thrive, in order to succeed? No, it just makes me feel too silly. I wonder what the spiritual equivalent of the granny shot might be. What's the shot that would raise our sense of freedom and joy and allow the grace of God to come in our lives more thoroughly and completely and we just won't shoot it because our pride gets in the way. All right, I'm in Luke 15. I'm going to begin in verse 11. And again, we started this parable last week as Pastor John talked about the younger son's struggles and the grace of God that he experienced. We'll finish the parable this week uh, looking at the older son and his struggles and comparing and contrasting the father's work in both the boys' lives. Jesus offers this parable as he's being critiqued for hanging out with younger sons, blatant sinners, brazen sinners. And he's being criticized by the Wilt Chamberlains of religion. The highly disciplined, uber-competent, determined religious folks of the day named Pharisees. And so he tells this story. There was a man who had two sons. Now, from the outset, we should know the story's about the dad, not the boys. Just by the way it starts. There was a dad who had two boys. It's about the dad. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, run out of his money, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. Now, pigs is a is a cue. This is a low point for an Israelite boy, feeding pigs. They couldn't eat pork, right? But he's out there feeding pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he's hungry, he's desperate, he's unclean because he's associating with pigs. This boy is in a distant, far country, spiritually speaking. He's a long way from his father's side. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. So he has a plan. The plan is confession. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up 
and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, kissed him. The son said, as he had planned, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But, the father interrupts. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He's been born again. He was lost, now he's found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, all right, act two, enter the older son. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He was out working where the boys should be, right? When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Now, the servant understands why the father's throwing the party. The servant describes this the way the father later describes it. In other words, the servant's in touch with the heart of the father. We'll see that the older son is not. So he says, your brother has returned and your father has received him back, safe and sound, and has killed the fatted calf for this purpose. The older brother became angry and refused to enter in, refused to go in. So his father went out to him and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not this brother of mine, but when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatty calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, not simply this son of mine, but this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. Last Sunday, uh, Pastor John detailed how we are all welcomed home as prodigals by our Heavenly Father despite our sinfulness. It's a beautiful story. Prodigals are those who live recklessly and foolishly and they live self-sabotaging sinful lives. By Israelite law, the younger son would have been due one-third of his father's estate, while the older son would have been due two-thirds of his father's estate. When the younger son goes to his father and says, I'll take my now, I'll take my portion of the estate, the one-third now, he's saying, I wish you were dead. Or, you're as good as dead to me. I don't value this relationship, I'll take mine now. Yet the father gave him his inheritance early. There are a few insults as powerful and as alienating as, I wish you were dead. The father could have responded very differently, yet he says, okay, here's yours. And then the father receives him back when he returns home, even though he had squandered his father's wealth. In ancient cultures, it was disgraceful for older men to run 
Older men would never walk. In fact, the higher your station in life, the higher the probability that you'd actually be carried. So older men didn't run. Older men would most likely walk, yet the father runs to meet the boy when he sees him. He feels compassion for him and runs out to meet him. So he was um, alienated and insulted by the request, you're as good as dead to me, I'll take mine now. And then when the boy comes home, having squandered all his wealth, he runs out to meet him. He humbles himself. He's so eager to be with the boy. He embraces him. He kisses him. These are signs of intimacy. He calls for a robe to be put on his shoulder and a ring to be put on his feet. A finger and sandals to be put on his feet. These all have images of being restored to authority, having his place within the family restored. Of course, we're all prodigals to some degree in that we all live reckless, we all live foolish, we all live self-sabotaging and sinful lives at some level. Jesus' point is that our Heavenly Father stands ready. He's looking for us. He runs after us. He draws near to us. He embraces us when we come home to him. He gives us his power, his authority. He restores our station. He he gives us healing, his spirit. We're in a sermon series focused on drawing distinctions between the messages of religion and the messages of Jesus. I loved last week as Pastor John pointed out that the prodigal, to a prodigal, religion says you've sinned, your father's going to kill you. You're in bad shape. Jesus says you've sinned, better get home to your father. Religious people expect God's blessings when they behave, God's punishment when they've sinned. Jesus offers us something categorically different, upending, completely other than every major world religion. Jesus says that through faith in him, the Father receives us home despite our sinfulness. He comes after us and runs towards us, eager to embrace us, empower us, restore us. It's a radical, lavish love. Now, if you don't identify as a prodigal, then perhaps you might more closely identify with the older son. Maybe you've not lived a reckless life. Maybe you've not lived a foolish life. Maybe you haven't cultivated habits of self-sabotage. Maybe you're a high performer. My gut tells me that, by and large, a suburban culture is going to more closely resemble the trappings of the older son generally speaking. Maybe you're highly disciplined. That's my experience in DuPage County. The lion's share of us are highly disciplined. Maybe you're uber responsible. You've achieved exceptional levels. Maybe you were born mature. You know those kids? Born mature? Maybe you've never wandered into self-sabotaging behavior. Sure, the older brother They don't claim um, perfection. No one in their right mind uh, maintains they're perfect, but they're quick to point out they don't behave like the younger son. And this isn't about birth order. Eileen raised uh, Joseph as an example today. Joseph was a younger brother, but he had the disposition, potentially, of the older brother. He was the one that was uber-responsible. He had been mistreated, sold into slavery, 
right? And then in Potiphar's household, through his discipline and determination, Potiphar elevates him and puts him in charge of the entire household, only to be lied about and thrown into prison. So it's not a birth order situation. It's an attitude. It's a perspective. It's an actions issue. If you identify as the older brother, Jesus wants us to know there's good news for us too. In fact, Jesus tells this story to a collection of older brothers primarily. Younger brothers are listening. Remember, the critique is by Pharisees, highly disciplined, determined, committed religious folks, uber-responsible folks, who are criticizing Jesus for hanging out with sinners, foolish livers, who have squandered their lives in self-sabotage. And so first he talks about God's heart for prodigals, and then he turns his attention to the older brothers and says, God has a heart for you too. Jesus wants us to know that we are invited into the party of heaven. God the Father is eager to have both prodigals and high performers and everyone in between with him, in relationship with him. Whether you're highly immoral, younger brothers, or highly moral, like older brothers, God's looking for you and wants to receive you back into relationship with him. The difficulty is that, is that both prodigals and high performers enter into relationship with their father the same way. Entrance into the party. Both younger and older sons can be lost. In fact, again, this parable is about the father, his disposition. Both younger sons and older sons are lost, and the father's looking for us. Both can wander. Both need to return home. Both experience a relationship with their father through the same means. That is, through dependence on his mercy and his grace through confession, through admitting your sinfulness, our sinfulness. Both prodigals and high performers must acknowledge their sinful attitudes and actions and humbly allow the Father to care for them. But you ask, how'd the older son sin? He stayed home after all. He was obedient. He was out in the field working when the younger son blows back into town with his tail between his legs, having squandered all the dead's wealth. What possibly could the older son need to say sorry for? Where does the older son need mercy and grace? How is he alienated from his father? In what respect does that relationship need to be mended? Great questions. First, we need to understand that not all sinfulness is equally apparent. Some sin is outward and brazen, and we can see it for what it is. That's the younger son. But some sin is an interior issue that's more subtle, and we don't see it readily. That's the older son. But, and this shouldn't be missed on us, the sin that is subtle and on the interior that's harder to see is every bit as separating. It's every bit as alienating in our relationship with our Father. In fact, as the, as the parable wraps up, we're left hanging. We're not left hanging wondering about the prodigals 
well-being in relationship with the father, we're actually left hanging about the older son, the high performer's well-being as it pertains to his father, his relationship with his dad. It's unclear whether the Pharisees are going to enter in and let the father care for them. So their alienation is every bit as pronounced. Their separation from the father. So pay close attention to the story. Read carefully. Both boys wanted their father's stuff. The older son was simply more calculating in how he went about getting it. He was less brazen. His MO was more socially acceptable. However, in time, his selfishness and self-centeredness came out. It came out in resentfulness, in bitterness of attitude towards his dad, believing that his father owed him something and had failed to care for him appropriately. On the outside, he looked really impressive, but on the inside, he was seething. We should pause as high performers, uber-responsible, self-disciplined achievers and ask, how are we doing on the inside? Because y'all look like beautiful people on the outside. The truth is, there were two lost sons in this story. Both boys needed forgiveness, but for different reasons. Here's the good news. The father goes out to meet them both. He goes out to meet the older son who refuses to come in and celebrate the grace that the younger son was experiencing. And the father goes out to him, we read, and pleads with him, come in, celebrate grace. Join me in celebrating your brother's return, the forgiveness that he's experienced. Pleaded with him. The father worked hard to draw him back into relationship trying to share his heart with the older son. You're always with me. Everything that I have is yours. But this older son has returned home. Come in. Let's celebrate together. And the older son said to his father, look. He starts talking about his righteousness, his performance. All these years I've been slaving for you. I wonder what our posture is towards obedience. Do we feel like slaves or sons working joyfully? All these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed you. Surely that's rhetorical because we know the interior. He's seething. Yeah, he looks good on the outside. He's physically done what was asked. But on the inside, he's mad as hell. He's not going to take it anymore. This is the last straw. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. To high performers like the older son, religion says we obey God in order to get what we want. We should pause and ask, why are you here? 
Why are you obedient? Religion says we obey God out of love for him, to honor him, fully enjoy him, to bring him glory, to be in his presence, to find our spot as creature in the light of the creator. Jesus calls us to trust our Father even when things don't go as planned or when we can't fully understand. That's what the older son was having trouble understanding. The MO of the Father. Why is he welcoming this younger son home? We can't fully understand all that's unfolded in our lives. We trust despite our understanding, despite things not going as planned, because we know the heart of the Father. All that he has is ours. That's the heart of our Father. My son, the Father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. So prodigals live recklessly, foolishly. They're self-sabotaging. High performers are ruthlessly controlling and self-righteous. That's their sin. You may be the older son if you talk about the race you're running, how you've performed, the behavior. Look at all these years. I've never disobeyed your orders. All the while, on the inside, you're churning, you're seething, you're demanding. What have you done for me lately, God? Inside, you feel like a slave, not a son. Oh, God, have mercy on us. It's supremely freeing and joy-filled to obey as a son rather than a slave. It's supremely freeing and joy-filled to obey, not because you want a strong-armed God to give you all that he has, but because you know all that the Father has is yours, that you've been lavishly cared for and included and brought in. You may be an older son if you believe God owes you something. You never even gave me a young goat. The challenge for both prodigals and high performers is trusting God's timing and intention. The prodigal says, I'll take mine now. The high performer says, what have you done for me lately? Look at me. Look at that hurdle I cleared. The challenge is for the high performer, knowing that God is steering history, steering our lives, towards a, a, a direction that brings him glory and brings us joy, even though it may be hard and that endurance and perseverance may be required, will be required. And that all that he has is ours. In the New Testament, we read, we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. Whatever's on your plate, your Father has given you everything you need for life and godliness, to know maximum freedom and maximum joy. The prodigal becomes reckless in distrust. The performers become bitter. Both suffer loss. Both the younger sons and the older sons suffer loss. Both need restoration. Both find themselves outside of relationship and alienated. Both need to humbly confess to be restored. The parable is not wrapped up in, an, in a tidy fashion. We're left wondering if the high performer will know the joy and the freedom of relationship with his dad. What might be the spiritual equivalent of the granny shot? 
Confession is the spiritual equivalent of the granny shot. What protects our hearts as high performers from resentment? Confession. God, I feel angry. I'm not serving out of joy. What protects our hearts from bitterness? I don't think this is going the way it's supposed to go. I think you've dropped the ball, God. That's confession. If you share that with a brother or sister, let them pray for you, and the care of God washes over your life. What protects us from being alienated and alone? He's outside the party alone, guys. The servants are in the party. He's outside the party all by himself. What protects us from that alienated, lonely reality? Confession. Some, some of us feel, and it is the, it's the part of the big problem in our modern culture, is loneliness. Just revealing who we are and what we're struggling with. That's the granny shot. Let's be honest, the reason no one shoots the granny style is because it is an admission of weakness. I remember I was eight years old, trying to learn basketball, love basketball. My dad actually tried to coach me to shoot the granny shot. Wasn't a chance I was shooting the granny shot. I could not even get the ball close to the rim as an eight-year-old. No one can at eight. Close to the rim shooting the traditional overhand shot. But I'm not shooting the granny shot. I'd rather airball it as an eight-year-old than shoot the granny shot. And I'm, I'm completely average. That's normative. That's the reality. How many of us are spiraling in resentment, bitterness, anger, weakness, circling the same old tree of, same old tree of failed sinful activity simply because we won't shoot the granny shot? We won't humble ourselves and step to the charity stripe and raise the grace in our lives just by, because we look silly. Our pride gets in the way. Frankly, what comes naturally is standing at the charity stripe as an eight-year-old and pretending I have any hope of getting the ball to the rim. That's, that's humanity. We fake it. Paul writes something interesting to the Galatians. He says, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, which is, he's talking about grace and, and they wanted to return to the law. After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now living, uh, trying to finish by means of the flesh? Here's, here's what happens among believers often. We begin the race of faith by grace. Oh yeah, I'm a sinner. I need God's grace, but then we start running the race of faith. We try to run the race of faith by performance. So we begin by the Spirit. The Spirit of God's received through the confession of a need for forgiveness, and He comes into our lives and He begins to empower us. But then we shift gears. We start running by our own ability, our own flesh, our own performance. Are you so foolish after beginning by the Spirit, after coming to faith in Christ by grace? 
that you're now trying to finish by means of the flesh, folks, it's granny shots to begin your faith. It's granny shots to run your faith. It's granny shots to end your faith. There's no new shot. It's all granny shots. It's grace. It's always grace. In James, we read, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. Everybody in this room needs soul's care. Every one of us. We need healing is what I'm trying to say. And we all know how to pray. Prayer is not brain surgery. So we need healing. We know how to pray. The question is, will we confess? Will Will we shoot the granny shot and let somebody pray for us? And not just shoot it once, shoot it daily, weekly, monthly. I'd go so far as to say that what's holding the American church back from bearing the fruit God's called us to bear is primarily our unwillingness to shoot the granny shot. Not solely. There are other things that we need to grow in, but primarily. God gives grace to whom? Answer the question. The humble. God gives grace to the humble. We all need God's grace, and we need more of it lavished upon us. We need it to overflow our lives. This week, I um, came across my social media feed, Uh, a pastor that I think the world of, Alistair Bagg, is getting raked over the coals, getting just chewed out. You know, it's interesting. He's not getting chewed out by non-Christians. He's getting just chewed on by Christians. He's been in the same pulpit for 40 years. He's, I don't know him well. I'm not saying he's perfect. Uh, but faithfulness seems to be the mark of his ministry. Just from afar. 40 years in the same pulpit, listened to on 1,800 radio stations daily. But his contract, my understanding is, he just lost his contract for 1,000 of those because he's woke. That's the accusation. Just makes me... Is it any wonder we don't confess more? We're struggling with this hyper-criticism, the American culture is, and it's invading the church. Who's going to confess when Alistair Bagg is getting chewed up and down? Am I making sense? if, we don't, if we're not kind to each other and gentle with one another and patient with one another, where's the culture of confession going to happen? Does this make sense or am I just... When we step to the line and shoot the granny shot, here's what's happening. Other Christians are saying, look at him shoot the granny shot. Instead of, yeah, that's right, shoot the granny shot. Rely on God's grace to start to run, to finish. We're just, sheep are just chewing on each other in the American church, just chewing on each other. 
<laughs> I'll go so far as to say, bear with me here. I, a, a pastor who was in attendance this morning came up at the end of first service to pray. The prayer was that his congregation would, would be nice to him. And I, I don't, I only raise that because the, the attacks outside the church, we can handle together. But if we're going to chew each other up, so we need to create safe space for each other. Confession is the granny shot by which we experience the grace of God. But to call people to a culture of confession is to admit there's sin among us. So that when people say, here's my sin, we don't eat them alive. We, we, don't, uh, we don't shoot our wounded. We all want that. I want to be a part of a church that when I confess, isn't surprised I'm a sinner. In order to be a part of that, I've got to offer it to others. I've got to hear their confession and go to prayer over them and ask the Lord to heal them. That makes sense. What we most desperately want, we've got to be offering to one another patience and gentleness and kindness. All right. One other thing. The last couple of weeks, uh, I've quoted 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and it just occurs to me. Let me read it. God is faithful. Uh, he starts out, No temptation has overtaken you except what's common to man. So what you faced last week in temptation, greed, lust, you're completely average. No temptation has overtaken you but such as common to man. You're completely common. You're not unique when it comes to temptation. All right? And God's faithful. God's good. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Hey, that's good news. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The way out, I've found over 90% of the time, is the granny shot. Confession. And when I stay in a cycle of sin... It's because I don't want to shoot the granny shot. I don't want to talk about what's going on on the interior. I want to look really good. I want to be the guy out in the field, do, supposed to, he's doing his work. But when it gets enough, and I'm finally like, oh, I can't do this on my own. I can't finish by the flesh, Galatians. I'm actually going to have to let someone care for me. Then I shoot the granny shot and it's lifted like a weight. He gives grace to the humble. Love you guys. Thank you for listening so intently. I feel a little heavy-handed. I hope y'all aren't feeling me as heavy-handed. Nothing worse than a preacher saying, you need to be nice to one another, doggone it, right? <laughs> and the preacher seems angry. It's a passion. It's not an anger. It's a passion. I, I mean, I, I need the freedom to be in a community where I can confess. Um, 
And I know that we all need that. I'll pray for us. Father, we pray for your goodness to us and um, thank you for the story. I pray that none of us will stay outside the party. I pray we'll come in and that your heart for sinners would increasingly be our heart for sinners, that we would enjoy shooting the granny shot in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'll be over here, and Eileen will be over here. If you want prayer, come on down. Your hair doesn't have to be on fire to come forward for prayer. We all need it, all right? Let's stand, we'll sing a song, and we'll, we'll go.